Up World. It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag segment, answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. If you are new to Mailbag Monday or you just want to get involved, or maybe you're a savvy veteran of Mailbag Monday, but you just you just want to get involved for the first time asking a question, there's two ways to do it. Tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. You can send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of a question. Just tag at Mailbag Monday so I know that it's for the show, or... Watch this guy's Monday morning around 9 a.m. Pacific time. I will send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that one, get you in the show. If you are not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com is the address. One more time for you, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That's the two ways to get involved. We do this every week, even when it is a national holiday. It typically, I record it on Monday evenings and post it on Tuesdays, but because of a slight scheduling snafu, this one's going up Monday evening, so you're getting a little bit early if you're really itching for mailbag, and many of you slightly frustrated with the performance and health of your Portland Trailblazers, I'm sure are itching to uh, consider what, what can change. So let's talk about those changes. First question comes from Blazers Raiders fan at Raider Tommy 4 on Twitter who asks, What do you think the biggest challenge was CJ out and not knowing how long? So uh, the team might have a a slightly better sense of how long than we do publicly. uh, The word from Terry Stotts today, he he told reporters pregame that it would be, uh, CJ McCollum would be reevaluated in a week. So we can assume the Blazers, they played the Spurs today and lost. They look bad. We'll talk about it. Uh, They played Memphis twice, followed by the New York Knicks uh, and Oklahoma City Thunder. So we can assume at a minimum CJ will be out those games, uh, but the team might have a better sense. Like they might, they I don't know if they share the stuff with the players, but certainly the the like front office coaching staff might have a better sense of sort of where they're targeting CJ to return. So I don't think the uncertainty, the uncertainty internally is probably not the same as it is externally. But the biggest challenge is going to be that CJ was their best offensive player. Um, you know, he's not a more accomplished player than Damian Lillard, and he's probably not not even really a better player than Damian Lillard. I don't think you could you could kind of make that case for the first time ever this year, but um, it wouldn't be super convincing to me. What he was was darn good, though. It doesn't really matter if he's not um, one of the top 10 players in the league. He was one of the very good players, and the Blazers, the Blazers are going to miss his ability to go get a bucket. Uh, they have, in theory, a bunch of people who, who are offense first and can score, but there's a big difference between being like a pretty good offensive player, like, say, Rodney Hood, and being... CJ McCollum, a guy who's taken 11 threes a game, soaking up 30% of the possessions, you know, shooting and, and distributing. He's um, they just don't really have a guy who can be a really high usage, step into a really high usage role uh, and and be efficient. They will miss they will just miss miss that creative that secondary creator. I mean, sort of every team is always looking for more guys who can create their own shots. CJ is elite at that, and the Blazers simply just cannot replace that. They do not have that player on the roster. They can be they can be okay without him, but it's a big, 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 big loss. Uh, because of the way the recording schedule worked, I did record an episode Friday all about uh, Yusuf Nurkic's injury. He's out for uh, at least eight weeks after fracturing his hand. But CJ McCollum got hurt over the weekend. Uh, he got in the first half against the Atlanta Hawks. He was driving to the rim and he got his left foot stepped on by Clint Capella. So I, I guess I meant to, I should have led with that news, but here we are three minutes in. You probably know if you listen to the podcast, but uh, you deserve to hear it from me. Uh, he's and He'll be reevaluated in a week with a, with a left foot sprain. 
Okay, next question comes from Logan at LoganB770 on Twitter, who says, how many games do you think the Blazers will win through these seven games that we that should be wins? So Logan sent this um, on Monday morning prior to the game against the Spurs. I thought it was a little wild then. Uh, I thought it was a little optimistic then, but... Um, no, Logan, you're not alone because Nathan last Tuesday after the Blazers squeaked out a win over the Toronto Raptors sent him the following question. Should we be worried if we're not 14 and six after 20 games? Indiana is on the schedule in the next 10 games and that is it. Y'all, even, even before Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum got hurt, um, squeaking out a win at home over the Raptors, falling down by 17 twice against the Kings and stealing some wins. Those are nice wins, right? Like play bad and win is a nice win. Ugly win better than a pretty loss. Uh, but those aren't exactly confidence boosters for me. I was not reading this team as like a truly, truly dominant group. And so the remaining games after when, when Nathan sent that question were Indiana, Atlanta, San Antonio, Memphis twice, New York, OKC, Houston, Chicago. Blazers have... Uh, you know, those aren't really good teams. Memphis is playing way better. They've won five in a row after a really st- uh, tough start. They're looking way better. San Antonio always going to be tough like they were today against the Blazers. Blazers played terribly, but um, the, the the Spurs weren't going to be pushover even, at, even if the Blazers were at full strength. Blazers survived against Atlanta thanks to like a meltdown by the Hawks late. Blazers made some key plays, don't get me wrong, but uh, Trey Young was about as bad as you could be in those uh, final 90 seconds or so. He was, he was just, whew. His decision-making um, and execution was poor, dear friends. So I guess all this is to say that um, I, I don't... 14-6 um, seemed too rosy uh, last week, and certainly things have gone downhill since you asked that question. Nathan, I'm sure you would have recalibrated um, as, as the discerning fan that you are. But even then, like even full health, 14-6 sounds crazy to me. I think 12-8 and eight would even be a little bit rosy. I think 11-9 and nine is like a totally reasonable number for sort of how talented they are. There's, there's just losable games in the schedule. Beating, beating Memphis twice at home is going to be hard. Um, Atlanta's not playing very well, but they score a lot of points. San Antonio always tough. OKC better than you think. New York keeps winning games. Um, they've already lost to the Bulls. The idea that they're going to go on the road in Chicago at the end of January and win that game just seems um, seems like a lot to me. So I guess the answer to to this question is y'all are more optimistic than me, and that's healthy because I'm not ever that optimistic. And what do I think the Blazers are going to do in their next uh, seven games? We'll, we'll include the loss to San Antonio. I probably would have said they would lose, but not the way they lost this one just because um, they looked worse than they really have any business being. So I, I probably would have guessed four and three, and I'll just flip it and say three and four. Uh, They're they're looking rough. When you lose, it feels like you'll keep losing. When you win, it feels like you keep winning. So maybe they rip off a couple games against Memphis, and I'll change my tune. Next question comes from C. Quinn, who asks, This thought always runs through my head when watching the Blazers. Do you think the Blazers would be better off with a less isolated offensive system? The high pick and roll in isolation just seems ineffective at times. Nobody moves on offense, and I think it's easier for opponents to defend the team despite having Damon CJ. Once the ball crosses half court, it's obvious what the team is going to do. It's nice to see more ball movement, easier to get better looks. I know Dame doesn't believe it's the right call to take the ball out of his hands, but I think the big difference between him and Steph is that Curry thrives when he moves without the ball. Thoughts? Yeah, uh... A similar thought was shared by Hassan Whiteside's burner at Justin P1111 on Twitter, who says, Do you think a collective and shared offensive approach is something that can be realized under Terry Stotts' system? Late in the game, it's always Dame or CJ ISO ball. Surely there has to be a better way to get open and higher percentage shots. So I'm going to throw out the late in the game thing. 
it's pretty common across the league. Late in close games, you give the ball to your best players and let them do what they do. Do what they does. Um, it's not every single team in the league, but I would say more more than the majority, like a a, a super majority to use a political term, um, runs sort of high pick and roll stuff with your best player, high pick and roll with your best two players type of things. That's not that uncommon. However, the offensive system is an issue. The there's not a lot of the ball can stagnate when the Blazers are at their worst. The ball stagnates. Um, it's it definitely falls on the coaching staff. Certainly, um, they deserve they deserve criticism, and I'm not trying to absolve them with what I'm about to say. But I want to caution everyone that what the Blazers do on offense is not totally independent of Dame's personal comforts, and quite frankly. He has a lot of positive reinforcement to suggest that his preferred style of play is pretty effective. The Blazers were the third best offense in the league last year. They're now seventh in the league after a tough game against the, against the Spurs. They were fourth coming into the game, I believe. Maybe fifth. Uh, they Here's where I think it really becomes a problem. In the regular season, you can just say, Dame, I know you prefer to run high pick and roll. Let's run some sort of you know false motion stuff, pass the ball around when, and cut a little slowly and then run a high pick and roll. And if that breaks down, we'll swing it across the court and let CJ do it on the other side, either pick and roll or just straight one-on-one go. Um, it's always better to move the ball. Player movement and ball movement is would would certainly open up the defenses, but Damon and CJ are more comfortable doing that, and they've been really successful doing that, so the team kind of allows them to operate in that faction. And for the most part, if your star player is, like you said, more comfortable on the ball, he doesn't want to be Steph Curry, I would say that no one is Steph Curry, like his, his off the ball, his ability to bend and break defenses by running around off the ball is unique to him. There's not many other superstars that do it at that level, like true, true, true superstars. Um, So certainly Dame could be better off the ball, but the idea that he's going to be Steph is maybe a little too far. He could just work. He could just be a better cutter. It could just happen that way. Um, But in in addition, I think Dame is comfortable that way. CJ is comfortable that way. Stotts is comfortable that way. They've had a track record of being a very, very good regular season offense where it breaks down is against elite-level defenses in in uh, high-leverage games when teams kind of know what they're going to run and they're most comfortable doing one thing and they've been doing one thing all year long. So while I'm not banging the drum for a overhaul of the offense, I understand and recognize the criticism and I think that you develop good habits to play against high-level teams by doing it in the regular season and the Blazers could benefit from changing it up. Now, I don't think they will. And I think they're still going to be an elite offensive team. I think they're going to be a top five offense all year playing this way. And I've said it a bunch on this podcast. If you're a new listener, uh, welcome. If you're an old listener, you're familiar with this phrase. There might be an aesthetic, an aesthetically displeasing offense. They might be an ugly offense to watch while being hyper-efficient. So yeah, I'd love to see them zip the ball around the perimeter, run Dane off, Dame off a couple screens down low and bring him up. Uh, with creative looks and new sets and just a whole different a whole different um, set of plays than they than the flow offense that they've sort of settled into, but they're gonna they're gonna be the regular season is they're still gonna be effective with this and it's really gonna it it'll come calling when they if they make the playoffs and they're playing against high level teams because high level teams know what to do so I'm with you that it could change I'm just not super confident that it will. All right, let's come back in the second segment. And a lot of y'all sent me trade ideas, like so many, so many ideas for trade. So we're going to run through them in the second segment. We got a wonderful collection of some of the top keyboard GMs on the internet. So we will hear from them and I will appraise their deals in the second segment. But before we do that, 
want to tell you all about Built Bar. You know Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. And if you don't know Built Bar, same deal, y'all. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. It comes in 18 amazing flavors, all of which are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got the this candy bar-like texture. I got a box of Built Bars in my house right now. In fact, within reaching distance of my microphone, I could, I could grab myself a caramel brownie or a cookies and cream or a cherry barcia or a mint brownie. Salted caramel, double chocolate, orange, toffee almond, all of those within reach of your boy right now. And all of those delicious bars, well, each and every one of them is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high in fiber. Good for you. Tastes great. Go get yourself some. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right. If you enjoy this podcast, chances are you might enjoy the new show on the network, Locked on Bets. It's the place where betting on the Trailblazers or your favorite team or, hell, your favorite sport that isn't basketball doesn't have to be a guessing game. Check out the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You'll get quick-hitting daily picks, advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Sounds pretty good. So subscribe to Locked on Bets, the podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. It's available wherever you already get podcasts. All right, let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. Like I promised, we got a whole bunch of trades this segment. And a lot of y'all want to know about tall people who play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Zach wants to know about Kevin Love. Adam wants to know about Andre Drummond and Jared Allen. Let's set the stage briefly and then we'll dive in on the talls who play for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Cavs got involved in the James Harden trade and by doing so, they sent... Uh, or excuse me, they acquired uh, Jared Allen, 22-year-old big man, uh, noted for blocking shots at the rim and having a big afro and wearing a headband uh, from the Brooklyn Nets for their troubles. So that gives uh, the Cavs maybe too many people in the front court. Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, Jared Allen, who's uh, maybe better at basketball than both those guys, JaVale McGee off the bench, and maybe the Cavs' best player, Larry Nance, um, also needs a bunch of time to play the four and, and a small ball five. It's... Um, they got a crowded group up front. So it's it follows that they're going to make a trade, and it'll likely be Andre Drummond who gets traded. He, if I had to guess, he's entering free agency. He's a, stats, he's a stat monster, um, and you don't trade for a 22-year-old as good as Jared Allen. You don't get involved in this trade and send away. They had to send away a, a first-round pick that was owed to them by the Bucks, and I believe an additional second-round pick to get involved, and they ended up with, their for their troubles, a really good young player. So Jared Allen is part of the Cavs' future. Um, I can't imagine they would move. He would be the one they move. Trading multiple draft picks and then and then moving him along seems weird. Uh, Kevin Love and Andre Drummond make a little bit too much money for an easy trade to be facilitated to the Blazers. It's it's just, it's not that simple. Both of them are, are well-compensated young men, and uh, you 
the Blazers well-compensated types are just way too good to make that move. You don't trade Nurk. Um, you don't obviously don't trade CJ for Kevin Love or Andre Drummond. That would be wild. And concocting trades beyond those two for the rest of the Blazers. It's like, do you give up on Robert Covington to get Andre Drummond, like a rental Andre Drummond? Maybe you could convince me, but that's sort of the level of trade you'd have to make. And then you kind of weaken the rest of, of what the Blazers have. So I don't think they're very likely. I think the name from the Cavs, if you're looking for one, is JaVale McGee. He's cheaper. Um, he he's he's an okay backup. Um, he's 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 really limited in what he does, but he can protect the rim. He can go up and get lobs. Um, he's he's somewhat of a liability on defense, but he is a very big person, and being very big and interested in playing defense uh, makes you a little bit better. So yeah, I'm, I don't think I think JaVale McGee would be a significant upgrade over Harry Giles, um, despite he is you know a narrower skill set but he's a better basketball better sort of competitive basketball fit right now so yeah i think javel is the move if you're if you really really want to eye someone on that Cavs roster but even then that one doesn't excite me too 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 much um it would be an upgrade but would it would it really push the blazers in the direction that um you were all hoping they end up right next trade question comes from taylor who asks should the blazers try to get pj tucker from houston's fire sale if show if so who should we trade Taylor made sure to correct this phrasing so they could get a uh, collective pronoun in the in the question. Great work, Taylor. Uh, yeah, I like I like PJ Tucker. Um, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina zone. Uh, he's he what he does he does really well he is as strong as they come built like a truck and knocks down corner threes I believe the NBA's all time leader or, or uh, percentage shooting percentage leader from threes in the corner he's um, he would be a nice fit. He's a great role player. The question is sort of who do you trade? Um, I would pro- for me there, this is sort of the like maybe the line where I I would say what um, how far into the future can you trade second round picks to get PJ Tucker? Um, I I don't know if I'm I'm giving up like low level young guys. Like I don't know if I'm giving up Ant. That, that, that seems like too, even too steep of a price, even if I'm not much of a Anthony Simons believer. That seems like too much for P.J. Tucker. But And the Blazers, they don't have a lot of second-round picks because they've kind of made those deals So um, in, in acquiring Rodney Hood and others over the last couple of years. So uh, future seconds, I think, would be what I'd try to trade for P.J. Tucker. Um, obviously, the Blazers would have to make it work salary-wise and give up something. So the question is, who's that something? And I'll say Harry Giles. David asks... I got a little trigger happy on the trade machine and ended up diving deeper than I expected. Obviously, you'd need to include some picks to even these out, but here's what I came up with. What do you think? PJ Tucker for Nazir Little and Zach Collins. Nope, too too pricey. Let's move on. At this point, it trades me to tra- it pains me to trade CJ, but the idea is you start Gary Trent Jr. at two and maybe have slightly better perimeter defense with Turner giving you improved interior defense, and that trade ends up being CJ McCollum for Miles Turner, Doug McDermott, Aaron Holiday. Hell no. Um, Miles Turner might win defensive player of the year, but what until Gary Trent Jr. can have back-to-back games where he scores double-digit points, um, I don't think you can say that he's ready to take on the throne from CJ McCollum. It's just that is too much of a downgrade um, for for what you're giving up there. Miles Turner's having an awesome year, though, and I really like Aaron Holiday, and Doug McDermott can really shoot it. Still not quite enough for me. I don't think it puts you... That doesn't put you any closer to contention. It just makes you a kind of middle mid-level team with a different flavor, and maybe worse. Next one from David is this... This doesn't help defensively, but could be really fun for a certain... Certainly an upgrade from Cantor, CJ for Nikola Vucevic. Boy, howdy. 
Do I think the Magic would pound the yes button, offering CJ McCollum for Nikola Vucevic? Not for me. Not not for me. Same same reasons above, but even even more so. Like Vooch is not much of a defensive player. He's an elite offensive center. Are elite offensive centers necessary and valuable in the modern NBA? I have I think maybe not once the once the playoffs start. Certainly during the regular season, it's okay. But um, even a guy like Nikola Jokic, who's like the best offensive center in the league, has turned himself into a really, 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 really good defensive player. And I think that's kind of the level you need to be at um, for me to consider uh, trading for a center. So yeah, David, I hate all of those trades. Um, they didn't get. I didn't hit you with the hell nah because I'm probably not at, at hell nah levels yet. But I don't like them. Next one comes from Brian Gabrielson at brg underscore Maui on Twitter. Brian offers the following trade. The the Portland Trailblazers acquire Mitchell Robinson and Yogi Ferrell. I think Yogi Ferrell got waived since this trade was proposed, but so he's a free agent. They could just go get him. Um, but let's just pretend for, for this case. Uh, and the New York Knicks acquire Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, and a second round pick. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, for their troubles, acquire uh, Kelgen Blevins and a second round pick and some cash considerations which cool for the Cavs to get in here. I like how the Cavs in this trade got a two-way player for a player they waived. That's the funniest part about this three-team trade, but let's keep it moving. Regardless, this answers the Blazers. Basically, I like the idea from Brian. It gives the Blazers a defensive-minded center and a backup point guard, two things that I think a lot of people think the Blazers need. Um, Here's the problem. Why the hell is it Mitchell Robinson in this trade and not Nerlens Noel? Why on earth are the Knicks trading Mitchell Robinson? What? Why? Do, so th- here's what the Knicks are getting: they're getting Anthony Simons, an unproven guard who has looked mostly bad and by some advanced numbers is is just like not an NBA player, uh, and Zach Collins, who has a, lo- a long history of of injuries is injured right now and is entering free agency. So really they're getting the rights. They're either getting Zach Collins as expiring or they're getting the rights to pay Zach Collins this summer for Mitchell Robinson, their starting center. Um, and, and one of their, like, you know, strangely like a gem that in, in some ways that the Knicks have unearthed, the deal needs to be for Nerlens Noel, a veteran center who doesn't have a future on the Knicks. Um, <laughs> the Knicks just hang up the phone. The Knicks hang up the we don't we don't complete this trade because the Knicks already hung up the phone. Next question comes from Own Your Story at v, at Mindset Vegan on Twitter who asks: Since we're playing the Spurs today, this is before the game. Where do you stand on Lamarcus Aldridge finishing his career in Portland? Discussion: Would you take him as Neil Olshay if he came next year on a minimum deal? Do we then have to manage the legacies of both LA and Melo? I think that's overstated, sort of managing the legacies. LaMarcus Aldridge would be, you know, another sort of big ego with connection to the franchise you obviously have to manage, but you have to manage every star player. But Melo is a Hall of Famer who was out of the league and he really wants to sort of author his own story. So being a custodian of his legacy, steward of his legacy was more important. So I'm going to throw that part out. Yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge on a minimum, I'd probably pound the yes button on that one. Yes, yes. Um, I am not... I know some people are scorned by the way he left. That does not bother me. Bring him back. If if it's at a minimum, LaMarcus Aldridge, is he better than Harry Giles? Yes. Is LaMarcus Aldridge better than Ennis Kander? Probably. Yeah, probably. So at minimum, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Big yes on that one. This next question comes from James in Beaverton, who asks, what would be the most interesting trade the Blazers could make, even if it's not the most beneficial or likely trade? It would be, James proposes, Blazers trade Damian Lillard and Zach Collins to the Golden State Warriors for Draymond Green and Kelly Oubre. 
before I continue reading this question, dog, what? What? Have you seen what stars get traded for these days? They sure as hell don't get traded for Draymond Green and Kelly Oubre. The somewhat onerous Draymond Green contract outside of uh, the Warriors and Kelly Oubre, who literally cannot shoot. You're trading him for Damian Lillard. An expiring contract of Zach Collins. Unreal. James continues, The Blazers would bolster their defense and CJ will become an offensive phenomenon. But even more intriguing would be the backcourt of Lillard and Steph Curry bombing away from 35 feet to half court. When Clay returns, the team might average 140 points per game. What is your most interesting trade? I would trade, as long as we're doing dumb trades, James, I would trade CJ McCollum and a bag of peanuts and the rights to Anthony Simon's sneakers from his rookie season for Steph Curry, and then the Blazers would have Draymond Green and, or would have Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, and then they'd be the most interesting team in the NBA. Get out of here. Get out of here trading Damian Lillard for this for this flotsam. Let's all get out of here. Let's get to the third segment and close the show answering more of your questions. But before we get all the way out of here, let me tell you all about betonline.ag. Look, it's it's betting season. NFL playoffs down to their four down to four teams. NBA in swing every night, NHL coming back. And if you want to get to an online sports book, there's only one place that has you covered and one place we trust, and that's betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account and use while you're there, use a promo code code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Like I said, it's it's betting season, sports are in full swing. Don't wait. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on that action. And don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. And you're still listening to Locked On Blazers. All the music you hear on Locked On Blazers is made for us by our dude, Dre Slaps. Support Dre's music by visiting the link to all his work and his merch that's in the episode description for this very episode. All right, now let's close out the show. We got more Mailbag Monday. We didn't fit, uh, we ran a little long talking about the Cavs, so we didn't fit all the trade news. Let's just wrap up the trade news and wrap up the Cavs. Vic, the boy at GopherSo on Twitter asks, with the news that Kevin Porter Jr. potentially being released, traded, would he be a good target for the Blazers? Collins for Porter Jr. So let's, before we talk about fit, if he's going to be released, why the hell would you trade Zach Collins for him? Like, why would, I know maybe you're ready to give up on Zach Collins, but you can just let him walk. Like, you can just let him leave. Um, and if they're going to release him, then he's likely going to sign a minimum deal, and the Blazers can do that if they want to. Fit-wise, um, he's an interesting one. It would probably mean that you're moving on from playing a guy like Anthony Simons. Um, you know, he's a he's a, he's a a wing who looked really good in his in his first season in, in Cleveland, but he, he seems to be... His, his issues, and I don't want to speculate too far, he seems to be having um, uh, things that are personal issues or mental health issues that are that are beyond sort of um, thinking about whether he can fit on the basketball team. Like, I, let's make sure that Kevin Porter Jr. is healthy and safe and then figure out what his sort of future in the league is. Uh, I, I'm not... To me, the, the Blazers, questions the Blazers need to answer is how can they get better on defense? I don't think Kevin Porter Jr. does that, but he is talented, and the, it's a talent league, so adding more talent is not wrong. At a minimum deal, um, I, I wouldn't scoff at it, I guess. I wouldn't be super, I might be super excited. It's fine, yeah. If, in the bio, and if he's released and is a free agent, um, I, would, I wouldn't, the Blazers would be fine. Go do it. Next question comes from Tom in Texas. 
And Tom's Twitter handle is giving me some pause. A bib a bab a okay? I don't know. Tom and Tom in Texas. Tom, can I get can I ask you, Tom, when you listen to this, will you shoot me a um, pronunciation guide? Or um, and maybe I'll be embarrassed when I don't get it, but I'm I'm not gonna be able to pull it off on this one. Tom asks, on a scale of one to ten. How happy are you not to discuss James Harden, James Harden trades on Mailbag Monday? Oh, probably like a six. I'm more happy than not happy, but I like James Harden trades more than uh, Kevin Love and Andre Drummond trades. At least like there was a path forward and like a reasonable sort of larger discussion about trading for James Harden. He's like a really good basketball player. I'm not sure Andre Drummond is like a, I'm not sure Andre Drummond helps teams win. Like, he's really good. He's very skilled and very large, and he's playing really well in Cleveland right now. But I'm not sure he helps teams win. James Harden is, like, you know, the best scorer of his generation. It's more more interesting. Tom also asks, Do you have any sense for the Blazers, how the Blazers are handling the diminished home field advantage? Is it a big deal? Is it counterbalanced at all by the corresponding lack of opposing fans on the road? So, yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's kind of equal everywhere, except in places like Utah and Denver, where you're at elevation. So, you know, the Blazers don't, maybe they had theoretically a, a bigger advantage. But last year, prior to the bubble, they were 18 and 14 at home. They weren't like a dominant home team that just couldn't win on the road. They were kind of mediocre everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a big deal, but I don't think it's unique to them. Next question comes from Tim. says, I've seen two very long lobs that resulted in some highlight reel dunks between Derek Jones Jr. and Dame. Are we going to see more of this added to Dame's bag of tricks? Because it certainly has not been there. Yeah, right? Dame's terrible lob passer, all of a sudden throwing awesome lobs to Derek Jones Jr. He just needed like one of the league's premier leapers. He just needed a dude who was, who was, you know, in the top... 1% 1% of the top 1% of athletes in the world, and he could start throwing lobs. What's funny is that Dame seems to be much better at throwing lobs from half court from like 45 feet than he is from throwing lobs like within a half court set, which he still hasn't really connected on super cleanly. Um, I think that's super funny, but clearly uh, Derek Jones Jr. has opened up Dame's consideration to throw lobs. He's like, dog, he can go get it. I'll throw it to him. And they're incredibly fun. Um, very, very enjoyable. So I hope we do see more of them. Next question comes from Hamilton who asks, I got a questions and a couple predictions. One, what will Dame average while CJ McCollum is out? So my idea for this was that CJ, that Dame would average like 37 a game while while um while CJ was out. I got this question um before before the uh, Spurs game happened, and then what did your boy Dame do? Went out and put up 35. So maybe I was going a little high, but I'll say 37. Dame averages 37 a game while, while CJ is out. Next question is. Will the other guys step up or will be Dame scoring 50 to 60 points per night? So I don't think he'll score 50 or 60. He might throw a 50-point game in there. He's an incredible offensive talent. Um, And right now, man, Rodney Hood had a really good game. Uh, He had the best offensive game of the year, uh, 21, 9 of 14 shooting. He was, this was on offense. It was the Rodney Hood that we've come to expect. Um, An efficient shooting night and not a whole, whole lot else. Um, it's, you know, the guys who need to step up, are, step up are Ant and Gary Trent Jr. Gary Trent has just been really inconsistent this year, frustratingly so, has not had back-to-back games where he scored in double figures yet this season. One of nine, two points against the Spurs. Ant just doesn't, he just, he has these flashes where you know that he's getting closer, but he still can't put it together to be a consistently productive player. So the, of the two guards, I'm, I, you know, those three, I don't think they're going to step up consistently for CJ McCollum here and there each one of those guys is going to have a night over the next week where you're like Mike you're an idiot but but 
the thing that CJ does is he brings it every single night. His consistency was so impressive earlier this season. I don't, and they just the difference in good players and great players in the league is consistency. And I don't think the other guys in the roster could be consistent. Hamilton continues. Number three, what is your prediction for our record when CJ comes back? So Blazers lost to the Spurs. Let's just assume CJ comes back right at the end of his timeline. So it'd be reevaluated in a week. So that would mean he missed the game against the Spurs, missed two against Memphis, missed a game against the Knicks, and against game against the Thunder. Those are all home games. Um, and I'll say with four remaining, and they've started 0-1, that they will go 2-3. and I was going to say 3-2, and but... Uh, you know what? Screw it. Three and two. Three and two. They're gonna pick. They're gonna pick it up. And finally, Hamilton says, "What is your prediction for our record when Nurk comes back?" So that's two months from now. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna do the math on that. But I think the Blazers will be. Um, I think they will be in sort of battling for one of the low playoff seats. I think there might be in that. I think they're going to end up somewhere in that 7 through 10 range while they wait for Nurk. Nurk is just so important to what they do. They're just they're just significantly worse without him. Uh, much like most teams when they lose their one of their best starters and their third best player. They're just way way worse without Nurk. Uh, I think they're sort of in the 7 to 10 range in the West when he comes when he comes back and they'll have a chance to push themselves into a better playoff seating when he's healthy. Next question comes from Jesse, who says, Who's your top five scorers on the team this year? I have CJ, Dame, Mello, Gary Trent Jr., Cantor. So I would go I would go CJ, Dame, Cantor, Carmelo Anthony. Man. Um, I guess Gary? He just he's just been inconsistent, but I'll say Gary fifth. Uh yeah. CJ Dame, Cantor, Mello, Gary in that order. Um Probably Nurk and Gary would have battled for that last spot if Nurk was healthy. Jesse continues top five defenders this year. He's got, Jesse has, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, Gary Trent Jr., Nurk, and Harry Giles, fifth with a question mark. So not strong on it. Get Harry Giles out of there. What what has Harry Giles done that makes you think he's a good defensive player other than being like functionally faster than Ennis Cantor? Uh, so yeah, I'll go DJ, Rocco, Gary Nah, DJ, Rocco, Nurk, Gary, and Damian Lillard. I don't think it's particularly close. Like, Dame has been a much more competitive one-on-one defender than anyone else on the roster that isn't in already in that list. Um, the Harry Giles thing is theoretical. Let's let it go. Let's see real encore production. Next question comes from Chin Dog at Chin underscore Dog on Twitter who asks, how surprised are you that they kept coaches' challenges around the season? I remember a lot of people thinking they would ditch it. I don't remember that. Terry Stotts always thought they would keep it. Um, he, you know, he thought he liked it, but he wishes that if you got the challenge right, you would keep it. And I tend to agree with him on that. Uh, the NBA, usually when they introduce stuff like that, they go with it. See the play-in tournament for the playoffs, introduce it in the bubble. Now they're going with it. Uh, I'm not surprised. Zero percent surprised. Next question comes from Joey Pushk at BlazersFan at triple zero on Twitter who asks, should Melo be in the starting five over Derek Jones Jr.? Me, I personally say try it out and see how it goes. What's the harm in trying it out? Yeah, um, I think I would have agreed with this approach when Nurk was healthy, but now um, putting that starting group, taking more defense out of the starting group to put Cantor and Melo together seems 
<laughs> seems like too much. So yeah, I think it would have been a, a decent way to try to um, maybe get Melo to stop taking so, so, so many shots and be more of a complimentary player. Uh, with the second unit, he just, they run too much offense through him and he, he ends up taking bad shots. When he plays with Damon CJ, he understands he's a third option. He seems to take better shots, hence that he's better at crunch time than he is during the second quarter. Uh, when, you know, playing with better players, he, he changes his approach a little bit. But with Nurk out, no, I'm not in favor of that. Next question comes from Marvin Iverson 7 at, at Iverson 7 Marvin on Twitter, who asks, Covington and Derek Jones Jr. equals Aminu and Harkless 2.0 changed my mind. So I think you mean this as an insult, but um, quite frankly, if they were Covington and if Covington and Derek Jones Jr. were, were Chief and Mo, Blazers would be better off. In four years with Mo and Chief, the Blazers have finished 19th, 20th, 6th, and 16th. Last year, in the first year without Harkless and Amu, obviously not a great comparison, but they were 27th in defense. This year, they're 26th. Being Harkless and Aminu would provide a, like a sort of level of competency that the, right now they don't have. Um, I know you're being a hater, but I think what you did was compliment the people you don't like. Next question comes from Hassan Whiteside's burner, Justin P. 1111, who asks, when looking at DJ and Rocco as the starters this year, and when thinking back to when Mo and Al Farouk starting at the three and four, which pairing do you like better? What do you make of their shooting woes this season? So I think in I think in general, um I like the idea of Covington and Derek Jones Jr. better. I like that Covington seems to have a little more playmaking ability. He's like an okay passer, um, but he's his his shot selection has been really poor. Derek Jones Jr. just cannot cannot shoot. But neither could Mo Harkless. Two of the four seasons he was there, um, J- Jones Jr. is maybe worse than Harkless. But Harkless w- would also pass up open shots in a way that Derek Jones hasn't really stumbled into. So that's less frustrating. And DJ offers incredible highlights in the way that Mo offered maybe some fun highlights, but. No- Nothing like Derek Jones Jr. I mean, sheesh. Um, I'm a big Aminu guy. I think sort of like his, he he really struggled in the playoffs, but sort of regular season competency he had, he was really, really good. They were just, you know, they were just solid. He was just solid. And then you get to the playoffs and he would be exposed because he has real weaknesses in his games. Um, Derek Jones Jr., I make of his shooting woes is that he's a bad shooter and this is kind of who he is. And Covington, I think it's shot selection. There's some times when I think he he decides to shoot before he needs to, puts up some shots sort of on quick catches when he could um, pass them up for in-rhythm jumpers only. I think if he got more just, this is real coach speak, but if he if he took all of his threes from the catch position, that is like you catch it, you shoot it, you don't have to move to the side or pump fake or do a dribble, but you stay in that, you stay with your your base good. If he if he shot all his threes from the catch position, I think he'd be way better. Next question comes from Team Mom at TC Biggs on Twitter. Excuse me, TCB Biggs on Twitter, who asks, I'm loving Derek Jones Jr. and I'm sure a lot of it because I like dunks. Yeah, I like dunks too. He's fun. Plus, he seems like a very nice person. He does. He's a, he's a nice guy. A little soft-spoken for people looking for a hard-hitting interview, but really friendly fellow. I think he's a good basketball player too. I like him better with the second unit. Gary, Harry, CJ. Which lineups do you think he fits his style best? So I think at full str- at full strength, uh, Derek Jones was the guy I would move to the bench. This is, uh, I believe, Joey Pushk earlier offered this but I think with the current roster I'm a little bit worried about adding like just having a starting lineup that like sucks so bad on on defense that um 
even when you bring in a, like a slightly more competent defensive group in the second unit, that they, that it doesn't make any difference. I think you kind of want to maximize your defense with the starting lineup. Hope that that hope that that group is really good and you can kind of survive the bench minutes as opposed to sort of lessening them both in a way. So um, I think when they're fully healthy, the Derek Jones Jr. off the bench thing is like an, an interesting option. You get less kind of ISO scores. You get a good cutter. Um, you get a, a better defensive player on that group. Um, but as at currently constructed, no CJ, no Nurk. Uh, I think keep Derek where he is for now. Next question comes from Adam Nakamura at Adam Naka twenty eight, who asks, "Who's been? Who's the player that's brought you? Um, who's brought some different aspects of their game that you didn't expect, if any?" Uh, I mean, I think it's CJ McCollum, qu- quite honestly. Like uh, maybe this is a cop out, but. Derek, uh, Robert Covington showed some signs of playmaking that I didn't know that he had, but those have kind of tailed off a little bit as um, he's sort of settled into his role and, and struggled to shoot. Um, but but I think it's I think it's CJ. I just didn't think I just didn't think at age 29 in season number eight that he could take the leap he's taken, and um, it's it was it's really really impressive. His he's getting to the free throw line more. He's just changed his shot diet a lot, shot profile a lot. Um, he's passing the ball a lot more, or at least racking up more assists than he has. And I think understanding that isn't just like you know raw passing. It's it's more just like kind of understanding how to get his teammates better shots more, and and getting into that sort of facilitator mode more than he has has in the past. Like changing the way he attacks the rim and th- things like that, while knowing he has, still has teammates. So yeah, I think I think it's CJ. Next question comes from Andy, who asks if you and see Coach Roy Williams and Terry Scott's traded jobs, what would Blazer fans immediately notice? Oh man, uh, how about UNC fans? I'll skip UNC fans because I don't think we have enough UNC listeners. The 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 biggest thing is that um, the people who hate Terry Stotts for not adjusting, Roy Williams' whole thing is that the system works, we don't adjust. Like, Roy Williams doesn't even call timeouts, y'all. You would hate him. You would hate him with all your hearts. Also, he really believes heavily in posting up, um, so that would drive some of you wild. Maybe some of you would like it. You'd get back get back to, like, an older style of basketball, but... Um, Roy Williams teams get better because they run, run, run. They're really big and they and they just they get sharper at what they execute. But they've been literally running this offense at UNC since the '70s, so ain't nothing changing. Um, the the you know, Carolina runs like six plays, and um, Blazer fans would hate that. Boy, howdy. Next question comes from Jesse Hellaweg. That is Jessasterus on Twitter who asks, Sasan Whiteside played pretty solid for us, in quotes, last year, with $25 million cut in salary with the Kings. Would you have been interested in keeping him for $2.5 million? Um... It's it's a little different. Like, it, it wouldn't just be at the price. It would be you'd have to get Hassan Whiteside back in the fold and have him be the emergency center obviously he'd be playing minutes now um but then it's like you're choosing him over harry giles and to me where the blazers are at for a third center i kind of like giles a potentially good you know a guy who can really develop like his his game is just still on the way like he can he can turn into something whereas Whiteside, you know what it is he's an his his production is insane like he just is a rebound point monster um he's just a really limited defensive player he's not much of a playmaker he's pretty mechanical in the post um and you he's inconsistent with his effort so um i think putting him on the bench as a you know only break the glass type player that's just a better fit for someone like giles who's still developing in the league jesse also asks also we've been feasting on come from behind victories why are we getting so far behind how can we prevent it we always in quotes jesse understands the show um 
the Blazers are getting behind because they're a bad defensive team and other teams can run up the score on them. Um, they can just team score in bunches against a team that cannot get consistent stops. Uh, the reason they've been coming back on teams like the Rock, the Raptors and the Kings is because the Blazers are really good on offense. They've got two really good shot makers. They've had some clutch uh, late-game production from guys like Carmelo Anthony and Gary Trent Jr. Uh, Nurk's had a couple of really, really nice sort of late-game uh, moments against L.A. and against the Kings. Uh, he's, you know, it's... They're, the Blazers are just right now, they're kind of a middling team. And what middling teams do is they give up they give up a bunch of points and then they occasionally get hot and can come back from those points. Uh, the way that you prevent falling behind is you just become a stouter defensive group. I'm not sure with the current roster that's possible, but th- that is the theory. Um, that's the the same thing that caused the Blazers to lose big. They lost to the, the Spurs 125-104 today. The same thing that caused them to lose that game is the same thing that caused them to fall behind uh, early in games, is that they just have these stretches where the offense kind of stagnates and they and they just cannot get stops. And the Spurs ripped off a 17-2 run in the fourth quarter, just changed the game. Started as 10-0 and swelled to 17-2. And it was over by then. And they're just their defense is bad enough that their offense has to be pretty much perfect um, to pull off these late game comebacks. And there are times when the offense stagnates with, as we mentioned at the top of the show, lack of ball movement, lack of player movement. It's just like, hey, Dame, can you bail us out? And many times he can bend the defense on his own with his preferred style of play of high pick and rolls and he attacks and and then team his teammates react off of that. But other times it's, you know, teams can shut down that initial action and everything else is just, you know, guys standing around waiting. This is the problem I mentioned at the top of the show. Against good defensive teams, you're going to struggle. The Spurs are a pretty good defensive team. They're slightly above league average and they did a good job of taking the Blazers out of their stuff and just killing them on the other end. Their bench absolutely dominated the Blazers bench and that was the difference in the game. And I think that is what we're going to see going forward is that the Blazers need better production off the bench and they need the offense they need the defense to be not horrific because the offense will probably be fine but you put if the defense is horrific you make the offense you ask the offense to be perfect and and there we all see it there are obvious flaws. That's going to do it for this episode of Mon- Mailbag Monday. If you want to get involved, there's two ways to do it. We do it, we do this every week. Tweet at me at Mike G. Rich. Email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. That contact info is also in the description of this episode. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We're waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.